Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober, right here on Green Earth Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on Green Earth Radio. My guest today is Sandrine Hahn of Nourishing Our Children, plus our desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to our appetizers and find out what happened this week in the world of real food. The No on 37 campaign to stop the proposition requiring GMO labeling has been revealed as a fraud, which was funded by Monsanto and big ag companies. No on 37 has claimed that they consist of family farmers, taxpayers, and regular consumers. But after looking into who's funding the campaign, it's been revealed that the donors are biotech companies such as Monsanto and DuPont and food giants such as Kellogg's and Nestle. The fact that the No on 37 movement is all funded by corporations goes to show that you as consumers have no reason not to vote yes on 37 this November. Next, an Australian study shows that high blood sugar levels can cause shrinking in the brain areas of memory and emotional processing. Researchers are still trying to figure out how the brain is affected by blood sugars. One hypothesis is that blood sugar can help regulate the body's inflammatory response, which is linked to brain shrinkage. The other is that high sugar levels make the blood stick together more, increasing the chance of clots that starve the brain. Regardless of the cause, this is another reason to avoid sugars as much as possible. Also, Bush Farms, which had a recall of 580 cantaloupe crates about a month ago, says it won't be growing cantaloupe next year. Co-owner Jimmy Birch has said it's not worth the liability. While it's great to hear that they won't be growing their contaminated cantaloupes anymore, they'll still be selling other fruits, which is alarming after the FDA, upon hearing about the outbreak, discovered that their packaging facilities were unsanitary. In other fruit recall news, the FDA has released a statement telling people not to eat mangoes from the Northern California fruit distributor Daniela. The authorities believe the mangoes have been contaminated with salmonella and have already caused 100 people in 16 states to become sick. The recent outbreaks with the mangoes and cantaloupes are more proof that it's best to buy only organic produce. And finally, local co-ops in various states are making big renovations as Whole Foods and Trader Joe's are soon to enter into their areas. The co-ops say they have to improve their stores, keep up with the trends, and appeal to the changing audience as they'll be getting some competition. I'm a big supporter of independently owned local co-ops. That being said, I do find that Whole Foods and Trader Joe's have some great products that you can't find anywhere else. I hope that the increased competition only makes for better co-ops so they're able to stay open. And now for our main course, which today is getting children to eat a healthy diet. Today more than ever, we see more health problems with our youth, such as obesity, diabetes, allergies, ADHD, asthma, and autism. Certainly our processed foods play a big part in it. We see commercials for foods marketed toward kids that are filled with refined sugars, vegetable oils, and white flour. Then there are school lunches, which are often unhealthier than fast food restaurants. But perhaps the people who are the most responsible for our children being so unhealthy are our parents. How can our children be in good health 
if their parents are being so careless. There's also the problem of all the misguided health advice we're given. Since the 70s, the mainstream health industry has been trying to tell us that saturated fat is bad. Yet since then, we're consuming less saturated fat, but heart disease and diabetes are on the rise. Here to talk with me about getting our children back on a healthy track is Sandrine Hahn. She started a nonprofit educational initiative of the San Francisco Weston A. Price chapter called Nourishing Our Children. Nourishing Our Children is devoted to teaching parents about the problems of the standard American diet and guiding us back to a diet of nutrient-dense foods. Sandrine, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. I really love what your organization does. It's, it's such a noble thing that you're able to do and that you're able to bring this information to parents and just to people everywhere because it's certainly, although called Nourishing Our Children, I mean, it, it has an application to pretty much everyone. Can you tell us a little bit about how you first got involved with Weston A. Price and then how that led to starting Nourishing Our Children? Sure. So in 2004, I was experiencing um, pretty regular insomnia. And at the time, I was serving as a learning specialist in private practice. Um, My practice was comprised of kids who had been labeled as learning disabled. They had some kind of learning challenge. And I was so sleep deprived that I, I needed to close my practice for a period of time to just focus on on finding a way to sleep uh, naturally through the night. Um, And I discovered Dr. Uh, Thomas Cowan, who is one of the founding board members of the Weston A. Price Foundation. He's a holistic medical doctor who had recently uh, moved to San Francisco and was opening up shop. I'd been searching essentially online for um, kind of holistic medical doctors. And he, is, um, he was my first introduction to the book Nourishing Traditions and to the Weston A. Price Foundation, and he sent me out the door with the book in hand. And after about a week to 10 days of following his protocols, which included drinking broth at every meal, homemade broth that I learned how to make through the book, and going to sleep every night at 9, even if I was just lying in bed, <laughs> um, I started to sleep. And I was really taken about, you know, taken back by the fact that everything I was doing was um, really nutrition-based. He had me taking cod liver oil and high vitamin butter oil. Um, it, there was nothing prescriptive in terms of pharmaceuticals. So um, I was sold and, you know, reopened my practice after a couple of weeks and was back in the swing of things and wanted to learn much more about these principles, but there was no uh, San Francisco chapter of the Weston A. Price Foundation at that time. And mind you, I'd only been involved in these principles for about a month at that point, so I was certainly no leader. (laughs) But I just wanted to create community, so I applied, and the Weston A. Price Foundation granted me um, the opportunity to serve as the chapter leader, and I created a Yahoo group and... and, um, listed myself on the Weston A. Price Foundation's uh, website as the chapter leader and hoped people would find me. And, you know, today we have over 600 members. In that first year, over time, uh, you know, we grew to about 300. And, of course, 
um, you know, I wasn't in a position to lead initially, but over time with the communal, you know, connection and support and, and teaching each other, we really became quite well-versed in how to nourish ourselves. And at that point, I was pretty convinced that the students in my practice were not actually learning disabled, but rather malnourished. I really suspected that they weren't getting the nutrients they needed for their brains to function optimally. And I wanted to uh, teach the parents in my practice how to nourish their children to support their learning. And um, Sally at the time, Sally Fallon Morell, the uh, president of the Weston A. Price Foundation, had a PowerPoint that was six hours long. And I knew that it would be prohibitive for the busy parents in my practice to view that. So I wanted to create some educational material that was, um, you know, would captivate their attention as parents and that was shorter. And um, from there, really, Nourishing Our Children was born as an outreach effort to teach parents um, fairly succinctly to plant the seed that some of what they were seeing in their children may be a result of malnourishment. And I, I, I sort of started to question, can we be well-fed but malnourished? Because the, the parents in my practice were certainly feeding their children plenty. These kids were not in any way lacking food, but they were lacking nutrients. Um, and so Nourishing Our Children was really born out of my desire to have some educational materials that I ended up creating uh, we used Sally Fallon Morell's presentations as a base, and I um, actually ended up closing my private practice and focusing myself exclusively on this cause for the first year. I um, received a donation that allowed me to support myself for a whole year, and um, by the end of that year, we had an educational tool that we were starting to present at different venues in San Francisco, you know, preschools and kindergartens and for, as a gift to the community. We just offered ourselves to, you know, come and give this PowerPoint and started to plant the seeds of change. So that's not so succinct, but kind of an overview of, of how it evolved. Well, that's certainly a great overview. And Thomas Cowan is certainly an excellent doctor and his his book, The Fourthfold Path to Healing, is a wonderful book. It's been described as the companion piece to nourishing traditions. So I, mean, yes. I think that's wonderful that if anyone um, get you involved and sort of since you live in this area, that um, that's a great resource to have. It's interesting what you talk about, about um, you know not getting the right nutrient-dense food, not getting um, the right food that's nourishing. Can you explain more of what that means, what foods are nourishing that we need to eat? Well, you know, when I when we considered a name for our for our cause, I had a group of women who were involved in the local Bay Area that I invited for a luncheon, and we literally sat for six hours <laughs> just to find the way to describe what it is that you know our intention was. We thought of nourishing because of the book Nourishing Traditions, and and the ver it, it's a verb to nourish. And it means to provide with the food or other substances necessary for growth, health, and good condition. And so we, we like the notion that one can provide food, you know, one can provide food, but it might not be food that leads to growth, health, and good condition. Um, so nourishing our children is, as opposed to feeding them, is really about um, eating whole foods, you know, 
oftentimes with a single ingredient like apple <laughs> or, you know, beef, um, whole foods that comes in an un, sort of unadulterated state, um, eating food that will rot but eating it before it does. Um, when you think of whole foods, you think of something growing from the ground or, or coming from an animal, growing from a tree. So, you know, the basic premise is the food that is most nourishing is the food that historically has nourished us as, as, a human, as humankind, um, unpackaged, unrefined, unprocessed um, natural foods. And, of course, the most nutrient-dense foods, surprisingly to most people, is the vi- are the very foods that we're commonly told not to eat. Uh, eggs, butter, uh, red meat, um, seafoods. Um, you know, we're, we're often told uh, milk products, uh, raw milk. We're told not to drink raw milk because it's going to be dangerous for our health. So our, the foods we recommend are the foods that people are afraid to eat. They're afraid to have too many eggs. They're afraid to drink raw milk. They're afraid to drink uh, fermented drinks that have, you know, bacteria. We're afraid of bacteria. And those are actually the foods that nourish us most. Um, Cod liver oil has gone out of favor, and that was routinely given to children. And we recommend fermented cod liver oil to our parents for their families. Um, And plenty of butter. Um, We recommend that parents give up the packaged breakfast cereals and the Cheerios and, um, you know, Cheerios are often given as a snack to children and the Pepperidge Farm, Little Fish, those kinds of foods do nothing to um, promote the growth, health, and good condition of our children. They're just kind of empty non-foods. Right, absolutely. So... Certainly, that's big problem is a lot of these foods that you see in the commercials that are advertised for. And we do see now, we are starting to see some movement, especially like with Michelle Obama's plan to approve school lunches. We're seeing a change in that. And without getting too political, what are your thoughts on government's efforts in trying to reform school lunches? Well, you know, um, I, have a, I have sort of a mixed experience of it because – um, they're still focusing on low fat, and we would not consider that a whole food. When we talk about whole foods, we mean full fat, unpasteurized, unhomogenized, unadulterated. So there's still a focus on this skim milk or 1% or 2% milk, and it doesn't come from the cow that way. It has to, you know, the milk has to be uh, removed in a, in a kind of industrial process, uh, in a factory process. And my belief is that we're not intended to drink it like that, that the, the food that we're intended comes to us as it is in nature, in its natural state. So there is a focus on low fat. There's a big concern about fat based on the notion that if we eat fat, we'll become fat. Um, and they're, they're, they haven't identified vegetable oils as really the culprit. Um, so... The, the, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that Michelle has an organic garden, that she has brought organics to the to sort of the um, attention of, of the larger community, the larger world, um, and I'm delighted that she's encouraging people to move, physically move, um, but I, I think there are some concerns about this the emphasis on low-fat foods um, and... 
you know, not the focus hasn't really changed enough, I think, to to what we would call a nourishing lunch. I agree a lot. I mean, certainly there are some good things like the organic garden. I mean, that's certainly much better because a lot of these school lunches and a lot of things kids eat, you have a lot of these frozen fruits and vegetables and those are a problem because a lot of times they have preservatives in them and lose nutrients when they're frozen. But certainly I think the low fat is really what got us into this trouble before and we're not realizing it. Like you said, we don't realize that vegetable oil is a big culprit and I think also refined sugars and white flours. I would include those two. The problem I see with with low fat is that I find that actually, and I've heard this before, how it actually raises your metabolism, meaning you're not satiated. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, um, the nutrients found in traditional fats such as butter, coconut oil, a tallow, which is the fat from beef, a chicken schmaltz, you know, the fat from chicken, a duck fat, pig fat in the form of lard, um, coconut oil, I meant thing I mentioned coconut oil, olive oil, um, those traditional fats are full of nutrients and the body, um, you know, is filled, filled with the nutrients that it needs and so it stops giving off a hunger signal. So actually eating fat will often result in losing fat because you're eating less. Your, your, your body says, I'm good. You know, I, I've, got, I've gotten the vitamins A and D that I needed. I've gotten a whole host of nutrients. Whereas these low-fat processed foods like uh, cookies and, and other packaged foods that have taken out, you know, butter or other uh, traditional fats and replaced it in order for it to have enough taste, <laughs> they've, they've often sweetened it with maybe artificial sweeteners. And you'll notice that with those what we call sort of junk foods, um, although it's not even really food, but that junk um, you know, masquerading as food, you can have bags and bags and bags of it without feeling full because the body's not tricked. It knows that it's not getting the nutrients it wants and it needs those nutrients to, to, uh, to run, you know, to uh, do its functions. So it keeps giving off a hunger signal, hope, hoping you will actually nourish it. Um, and I think that's why you see you know, kids at the vending machines going back and again and again and again because none of the food is really satisfying their nutrient needs. Right, and I like what you bring up about how we can actually lose fat by eating fat. In fact, Sally Fallon even has a book t- with that title called Eat Fat, Lose Fat. And it is really a shame how butter has been so villainized because there have been studies that actually show that kids get more nutrients in by buttering their vegetables. And we've promoted these fake buttery spreads, I mean, that we call the Smart Balance Healthy, yet, I mean, the main ingredients of it is an oil blend of soybean oil and canola oil. And, I mean, no one regards potato chips or french fries as healthy. And, I mean, what are those fried in but soybean and canola oil? So to somehow eat this... uh, fake butter that's made of this, that same stuff doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yes. And so, I, you know, going back to this uh, initiative that uh, Michelle Obama has put forth, the First Lady, I, 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 there's some part of me that wants to support any focus on children's health because it is 
critical that we consider this next generation. Um, but I'm concerned that the initiative that she's put forth is still the FDA's, you know, food recommendations, which are eating uh, are about eating fat sparingly, and children in particular need traditional fats in order to develop properly. Um, so I have concerns about parents putting children on a low-fat diet. Um, I actually had an experience uh, where I was visiting with a family, and um, the parents weren't around. I was engaging with the boy, and um, a friend of mine was preparing him a meal, a breakfast. And um, they, I wanted eggs. She, you know, she was going around taking orders. What would you like for breakfast? I wanted eggs. Uh, the boy was in tears. Um, over the fact that I really insisted, that, you know, he said, oh, don't have the eggs. Don't have the eggs. My mother has told me that, that, you know, that's a dangerous food. And I insisted essentially that she was wrong. You know, I said, your, it's not that your mother, I said, your mother is misinformed. And, you know, eggs uh, are a food that we've been eating for millennia, and it's a very, um, it's a very perfect food. And he was really in tears with the disconnect between what he had been told by his mother and the fear he had about these, these eggs and what I was saying. And I had three. <laughs> and he basically, he you know, was just in, in, uh, you know, in distress that I was like akin to eating poison. But I would certainly have a heart attack on the spot. And he was a young a child, and I can imagine the confusion that children have with all of this... Um, sort of propaganda, if you will, around, you know, the demonized eggs. And I'll never forget it. It created an indelible image in my mind of this scared child to eat, you know, a food that absolutely um, has sustained humankind for as long as we know um, that's really quite a wholesome food. So I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen for children, you know, to, I mean... Children who are just being raised today in this paradigm believe it, just like they believe the sky is, you know, we indoctrinate them. We tell them the sky is blue and the grass is green and eggs are not to be eaten. So it's kind of an earthquake in their, in their understanding to tell them that that's just not the case, you know? It is. And, I mean, I grew up certainly hearing a lot of the whole low-fat mentality and believed it for about at least – 30 years of my life, and eggs, another one like low-fat. I mean, the, the big problem we see with eggs is egg whites and egg beaters. I certainly see those as a big problem contributing also that, I mean, we see those in stores and that we're told that, like, that's the healthiest way is use these egg beaters instead of an actual egg. Right, but the problem with that is that uh, vitamin A is found in the egg yolk, and, uh, you know, what happens is your body has a need for vitamin A, and if it's not getting it through the food that you're eating, if you're eating, you know, lean meat, uh, chicken breast without the fat, if you're having these protein powders, if you're having, um, you know, only egg whites, what happens is you're not getting any vitamin A, and vitamin A is needed for protein assimilation. So the body will start to go to the liver to get that vitamin A, and that's when you have these um, autoimmune diseases and other 
dis-ease that the doctors just don't know what to do about because you, you end up vitamin A deficient. Um, so it's actually quite dangerous not to eat a whole food as it comes, as it's intended. That's the, you know, that's the kind of main premise is the A comes with the white and the yolk, and we're going to trust that, 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 that we weren't set up, <laughs> um, you know, by the creator or uh, however you want to uh, conceptualize the food that is available to us on the earth that, that you know, has been there all this time, we're going to trust that that's what we need. So to start, you know, taking the egg apart and throwing out the yolk and only eating the white or taking off the skin from the animal fat or, um, you know, taking out the fat from the milk is denaturing the food. And that's where really all the problems come from. Right. And certainly eggs are a big part of what you encourage for children. I love the logo, which... Try to uh, show logo as best as we can on radio, but your logo is the nest with an egg in it, and I think that so perfectly describes nourishing our children in in more ways than one with the nest and the egg. Yes, we actually rebranded um, last year before the Weston A. Pice Foundation's annual conference in 2011. Um, prior to that, we had um, we had an egg that uh, was broken in half, and you could just see the yolk. And our point was, you know, again, the metaphor of the egg is, is symbolic for, for, chi- for birth and rebirth and uh, conception and fertility and things related to our, our cause, but also the egg being something that has been so maligned. Um, in China, women will eat up to 10 eggs a day if uh, one can afford them because they know that it's a superfood and, and it's thought that the children... Uh, will be very smart if, if mama eats a lot of eggs when she's um, pregnant and before conception. So we rebranded with the nest because I wanted to give more of the sense of nourishing, and we, we know that you know birds uh, will sit on their nest in order to incubate and, and nourish that egg uh, so that it survives and, and is hatched. So I, I like that metaphor, but we stuck with that egg because that becomes you know, it has so much, so much, you know, depth to the meaning, but it really is something that a lot of, it really kind of symbolizes that our cause is not like every other cause telling you to avoid eggs. Um, you know, it's just a symbol for all of the other traditional foods that we're saying, let's return to those foods in their whole state. Um, and so we, we, this particular uh, incarnation of our branding with the egg and the nest really has a lot of, you know, it's far-reaching. There, there are a lot of metaphors and symbols there within that just that one simple um, illustration. So it, it's working for us. I think people can easily see it and, and understand what we're about. Oh, absolutely. And I just, I think with the nest, because like the nest, that's where the birds, you know, nur- do nourish their children themselves. And yeah. also, I have to say, I love that you brought up an example of China because, you know, there's been so much rumor and so much of uh, people try to say, oh, China, you know, eats very little animal products. And if you do the research, you find out that's not true at all, that meat and uh, and eggs and a number of animal products make up an important part of their diet in China oh, yes. and other Asian cultures too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. That's those in the soy camp. Well, you know, that's something else we teach about um, in in terms of nourishing our children is, Oftentimes, 
mothers, when they are weaning their children from breastfeeding, will look for some kind of formula alternative, and many use uh, soy infant formula. And we do not recommend the consumption of, of soy. Um, and people will say, well, you know, they, they are so healthy in Asian countries and they eat a lot of soy, but the truth of the matter is it's used as a condiment, and the soy products are naturally fermented, soy products like a tempeh or soy sauce, um, soy milk, is not prepared the way we consume it here. It's not an industrially prepared food. The soy products that we eat um, are really the waste products of the soy oil manufacturing uh, industry. It, that soy oil manufacturing leads, leaves a sludge that they then bleach and deodorize and sort of repurpose as a food. But it's really a junk food. It's a waste product. And that's what you'll find in these soy infant formulas and in imitation foods that many vegetarians eat, such as soy hot dogs and soy uh, ice cream and soy milks. Um, and what we're, what we're hearing more and more is that, um, you know, children are, male children um, are growing breasts because of the phytoestrogenic properties in soy. Um, women, uh, young girls are developing and reaching a puberty earlier. Um, some boys' genitalia is not developing as expected. So it really is a, you know, a dangerous um, alternative to, to turn to soy. Um, and for those parents who are needing some type of formula alternative, um, perhaps they a mama is not uh, in a position to breastfeed or um, a child is adopted. Perhaps uh, parents don't have a donor, um, um, you know, a breast, uh, breast milk donor around them. Um, we do have, uh, from Sally Fallon Morell in her book, Nourishing Traditions, homemade baby formulas that do not rely on soy uh, for those parents who... Are, are in need of some alternative to those kinds of uh, packaged formulas you'll find in the in the store. And the other thing I want to mention about that is, you know, the word organic is used as a panacea or some kind of label to ensure nutrient density that the food is somehow nourishing if it's organic, which is not true. In this in this case, organic soy formula isn't any better, or organic soy milk, or organic uh, soy hot dogs they don't uh, improve the nutrient density of that food whatsoever. There's certainly a difference between the type of fake soy meat that we eat here and what's eaten in the Asian countries, and you're absolutely right to describe it as a condiment because a problem with soy is the phytic acid and the lectins in it, they block mineral absorption. And in a country such as, say, Japan – They'll often eat like a tofu with a fish, so the nutrients that they lack while eating the tofu, then they make it up in the fish. So in other words, they don't eat fake soy meats in Asia, but they actually eat soy with real meats. We have to go to our sponsor for a second, but we will be back with Sandrine Han of Nourishing Our Children. Wise Traditions Conferences bring a world of nutrition information to the health professional and health-conscious consumer, and the conference meals and exhibit hall reflect our dietary principles. Join us this September 15th to 16th, Buffalo, New York, for our second regional conference, or November 9th to 12th in Santa Clara, California, for our 13th annual international conference. Learn and grow in wellness. 
See more details on WestonAPrice.org. We're back with Sandrine Hahn of Nourishing Our Children, the San Francisco initiative, which is part of the San Francisco Weston A. Price chapter. And Sandrine was telling us earlier in the show about how Nourishing Our Children got started and some of the education that they teach. What are some of the programs that you do where people can learn how to, how to nourish their children? So here in the San Francisco Bay Area, we have um, a cadre of volunteer presenters and – uh, we have requests to come and present our material to different groups. So we we teach in person. We have a PowerPoint presentation and we have a DVD. So depending on the presenters, they might show the DVD to an audience or they might do a combination of the DVD and the PowerPoint or just the PowerPoint. So we, we teach locally. Because we're a volunteer-based organization just in the San Francisco Bay Area, we have offered our educational materials to the larger community, and we, we send them um, as an appreciation gift for a donation to our cause. So individuals will order perhaps our PowerPoint in our study book or our PowerPoint and our audio book. We have a number of educational materials that can, uh, other people can learn and use. So if uh, someone in, in fact, we have a physician in Brazil who I met at one of the conferences, who uh, gives this presentation. It's in English. Our, all of our educational materials are in English, but he is, uh, you know, fluent in English. And he has uh, taken our PowerPoint, and he gives it in his practice routinely. Um, we have other people who have donated to receive our DVD, and they will play it on a loop in their uh, offices. We have health practitioners who have let us know that it's, you know, they set up a small uh, power, a small uh, laptop or television, and they just have it running in a loop that people can see when they come to their offices. We know quite a few who have donated to our cause who give this presentation in their communities as part of um, their own educational initiatives, perhaps chapter leaders of the Weston A. Price Foundation, perhaps health practitioners, just parents who want to ensure that, um, you know, their nursery co-op or the children's soccer team uh, is aware. <laughs> it kind of fortifies, you know, their requests. So if a, if a, so- if a soccer mom uh, doesn't want, you know, all these juice bottles coming, uh, she might decide to host an evening where she shows our DVD and we can make the case for her about why we wouldn't recommend those juice uh, bottles. So... Um, at this juncture, you know, we're, we're just uh, generally six to ten of us are presenting in the Bay Area, but we've had now several thousand who have our materials who are presenting all over the world. We've had donors from Iceland, Singapore, all over Australia and Canada, uh, Ireland, all over Europe, um, even, even um, I don't want to say Somalia, I'm, I'm forgetting them. We have an African... Uh, not Kenya, it'll come to me, but we've even sent our DVD to Africa. So it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's, we're far beyond, we've reached far beyond the Bay Area now. Um, the, the PowerPoint and DVD that we have, one can uh, donate to receive our study guide. So really anyone can learn to give this presentation. Uh, they, we, we have sort of a, a motto, which is learn and then teach. 
So once you learn these principles, we really encourage people to turn around and teach them since they're so vital and we can really impact the physical development of the next generation. If, if mothers get this material before they conceive, um, it, it really can change the whole trajectory of the physical development of that child. We're talking about, you know, all 32 teeth coming in straight, unobstructed, um, or crooked teeth. That's a very good thing to bring up. So the nourishing our children part, that comes actually before you have children, correct? Yes. We, we nourish our children before we conceive. So a mama who really wants to nourish their child will implement uh, the, the diet for pregnant and nursing uh, mothers that we recommend well before, you know, optimally a year before. Um, as long as she's, you know, as, as long as possible before so that she fortifies herself with the nutrients she'll need to carry that um, pregnancy to term and while she's breastfeeding. So nourishing our children absolutely starts well before a child is conceived, ideally. Um, you know, when we talk to parents who already have high school students, they can still nourish their child, but the physical structure of the child is, is formed. It's too late for us to change that. Uh, we, you know, they can be healthier, certainly, and the nutrients they have at that age can enliven them, but it's too late to really change the skeleton and ensure they have a nice wide palate, uh, you know, plenty of uh, room in their nasal passage for the girls. Um, we want to ensure that they have a wide pelvis and can have a natural childbirth. Um, you know, we're seeing this physical degeneration that Weston A. Price writes about in his book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. We're seeing it everywhere. We're seeing children with glasses, with braces, which is a sign of physical degeneration. These are not hereditary issues. These are uh, signs of um, a lack of vital nutrients during the formative year of the body. So when we look around and we see the, these narrow faces, scoliosis of the spine, narrow nasal passages where children have trouble breathing, um, you know, children having difficulty learning, um, children having, um, you know, eczema and allergies and even diabetes at a young age, uh, generations ago, this was unheard of, and now it's quite prevalent. Uh, when I was working as a learning specialist, I had a waiting list. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see all the students that were asking for my help. And when I was growing up, not that long ago, none of my peers had a learning specialist. Uh, we didn't need all of these specialists to help us learn. We, it was just very unusual for, for a child to have such difficulty learning that they would go to school and then have all of these specialists after school uh, to break down the material in bite-sized pieces. So I think there's kind of epidemic proportions of evidence that our children are not well-nourished. It's interesting what you bring up about braces and glasses. Certainly the teeth part, that was a big problem. And as Weston A. Price was a dentist, certainly that was part of his original tr uh, travels was to discover perfect teeth. Now about glasses, is it actually possible with, with just the right nutrition that actually children can have better eyesight? Yes. So um, here's a case in point that I like to tell. 
So my mother grew up in a family of 12 children, and they weren't optimally spaced. Uh, optimal spacing is three years between pregnancies, so the mother can recuperate her nutrient reserves. Um, you know, my, my grandmother had a lot of children and, and kind of quick succession. It was mainly two years apart. But all children had thir- all 32 teeth, no crowding, no braces of any kind, no underbites or overbites, and none of them had glasses. Um, she was, grew up in Morocco on a traditional diet. Um, this, is, this was a time when, my, you know, they didn't even have a refrigerator. So everything was fresh. Um, they brought, you know, animals from the farmer's market and slaughtered them themselves. There was no can, no packaged food, no box. Everything was really a traditional diet. Um, over the years, they, they, you know, got a refrigerator, but imagine that you're needing such fresh food that you don't have any refrigeration to feed all those people. So they were in very good health. My mother's generation of siblings are in excellent health. She abandoned her traditional diet when she moved to France in favor of margarine and, you know, skim milk, and she kind of took on the diet of the day. And I, we, so we, she had four children, and I had braces and um, poor eyesight uh, in one generation. All my siblings had, um, you know, uh, dental deformities, crooked teeth. Whereas, on the other hand, uh, Sally Fallon Morell grew up in a family of four, and she had braces and poor eyesight. Uh, she needed glasses. Uh, she needed braces, narrowing of the face. But all of her four children uh, didn't. And I've met her daughter, Sarah, who has now a, a child of her own. And Sarah has a beautiful broad face and all 32 teeth and no need for glasses. And all the four children similarly. So these you know, these are trends you can reverse. Um, my mother, I would have inherited this strong genetic uh, expression, right? We, the gene is for all of us to have all 32 teeth that come in unobstructed in a wide face with a wide palate that has a wide nasal passage. But my mother didn't uh, nourish herself during her pregnancy and during my early years with the kind of nutrients she had grown up on. And we lost some of that optimal genetic expression but it can be reversed because sally was sort of a, you know a leg down so to speak already exhibiting signs of physical degeneration with her glasses and her braces but none of her children had any of that so it's very clear to me seeing this time and again and throughout dr Pr- dr price's uh, observations through his worldwide travels that you really, you're not only what you eat, but the next generation is what you eat. And that's why we're so focused on um, teaching mothers who have yet to conceive, because it, these trends can be reversed. Wow. This part about eyesight, I mean, I'm just amazed because you know, certainly I've known about the advantages of eating a nourishing diet, but eyesight, that was one that never even knew. Actually, I guess I'd heard a little of it, but never kind of heard the full explanation or that it was actually, there are actually cases of that. So that's very eye-opening, no pun intended. Yes, pun intended. Well, maybe major (laughs) pun intended. (laughs) Yes. Just kind of came up with that on the fly. Now, in addition to Nourishing Our Children, you also have an organization called Nourishing Ourselves. Right. So out of Nourishing Our Children, what we encountered was that 
quite a few people got stuck on the word children, and they wouldn't come to hear us speak because they didn't have children or they didn't have, to plan, didn't have plans to have children or they were past childbearing age, and we still wanted to get these principles out. So in 2012, I conceived of and launched Nourishing Ourselves, and my, um, my partner in this endeavor, Karen Hamilton-Roth, and I are currently creating the curriculum for Nourishing Ourselves, and we'll also launch a PowerPoint and a study guide and an e-book and an audio book and all the, you know, those categories and a DVD just like we did for Nourishing Our Children so that we can give presentations on Nourishing Ourselves, which will comprise of a lot of the same themes. But we'll focus, we'll start focusing on the age of 18 and going through the lifespan. So, you know, how do we nourish ourselves um, as we, you know, are, are in, in our 20s and 30s and then in our 40s and 50s and, and onward. How do we nourish ourselves to ensure bone density as we age so that we don't lose our teeth, so we don't need hip replacements? Um, how did the people that Dr. Price discovered nourish themselves through their lifespan? And, and it does change. Um, you know, basically whole food throughout a lifetime. Um, but as you're aging, it's important to have plenty of uh, bone broth so that you're ingesting the, the minerals that we would extract from long-simmering bone broth, you're ingesting those vital minerals. Um, so we, we decided that we wanted to expand our reach so that people wouldn't be, you know, dismissive of, of the educational materials because of the word children. So nourishing ourselves encompasses everyone, and no one can really say, well, that won't apply to me. <laughs> Right, because I think certainly a big reason that we want to be sustainable, that we want to nourish ourselves, it is for the future of everyone. So it is certainly a thing that nourishing our children doesn't play just into people that have children, but it's a thing that contributes to everyone around us and to future generations um, for us that are going to have children at some point. Or just I think even if you aren't going to have children, it's a thing of that other people that are going to have children that they learn from you – in order how to live better for their children. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yes, I mean, the truth is most of, so we have a Facebook page. Um, it's, you know, facebook.com forward slash nourishing our children. And we're approaching 15,000 followers there. And, and I post very regularly. And what I post would certainly be apropos for anyone. It's not only for parents who are raising children. The, you know, a lot of the content would be of value to, to anyone who's, um, who, who wants to uh, nourish and not ma- merely feed themselves. But clearly we attract parents, um, mainly mothers, but we have uh, about 10% of the, the readership are, are fathers too. And um, we want to expand that so that you know, we can expand far beyond just kind of a niche of children and, and um, reach an audience beyond that because while we can't change necessarily, you know, the structure of our teeth through the kind of dietary principles we recommend at this stage in adulthood, we can certainly enliven ourselves. We can bring much more um, health and vitality to our life experience by uh, what we're eating, so we still want that for, for everyone, you know. Um, but I, I have a particular 
kind of soft spot for the next generation who we can still, whose life trajectory we can still change. I'm someone who is very much um, evidence of physical degeneration. With my mother's story that I recounted, I had extensive orthodonture. I had eight teeth pulled from my mouth, very small mouth. I only have 24 teeth in my mouth. Um, I had a neuronasal passage. I had to have surgery on my neuronasal passage, and it wasn't corrective. I'm still a mouth breather, breathing through my mouth, having difficulty breathing through my nose. I have scoliosis of the spine. Um, there's quite a bit of evidence of physical degeneration in just one generation that my, you know, from my mother's to mine. I don't want that for the next generation. It's avoidable. You know, this is something that we can fix. A child isn't doomed to braces because so much of modern society you know, produces that. It's it's not how we were designed to be. Absolutely. And another thing that I know you have coming up and we've certainly been promoting on this show with our sponsor, Weston A. Price, is their Wise Traditions Conference in November. And in fact, also next week, I'm going to start a series of speakers for the conference. You'll be an exhibitor there in November. Can you tell us a little about what you'll be showing at your booth? Yes. So we, we are very blessed, um, nourishing our children, to have an enormous amount of support from the Weston A. Price Foundation. And um, this will be my ninth consecutive year, and we are usually placed right next to New Trends Publishing, which is the publisher for the book Nourishing Traditions, and the Weston A. Price Foundation. You, we're usually right with them, uh, so we're easy to find in a prime spot, and it's an extraordinary opportunity for us. We have a large screen um, in, on which we uh, play our DVD on a running loop, and we have headsets. So people come, and they surround the screen, and they get to watch as long as they'd like of the DVD. Um, we offer um, you know, samples. We have um, samples of our PowerPoint and our audiobook and our study guide and our ebook all for display so people can come and kind of engage with the materials. And then this year, we're going to be launching some products. So we created a line of products that are um, hopefully of value to our community that in, embody the principles we teach. So we have a series of glass bottles uh, that can store kombucha and beet glass and other fermented beverages or broth that are etched. Uh, they're etched with words like nourish, uh, fermented, Insp- um, not inspire, refresh, and hydrate. And so we're going to be bringing our etched bottles. And the reason that we, we are promoting glass is because uh, plastic, uh, all sorts of plastic is problematic uh, for water storage or beverage storage. It has um, BPA, which is a chemical that is known to leach into the, the, um, the food or, or the liquid that the plastic holds. Uh, so we're kind of we're promoting water, even a, even beyond stainless steel. Oftentimes, people use stainless steel to house uh, their beverages um, because w- uh, stainless steel can be problematic too. It has uh, been known to disrupt um, certain balances in the body as well, uh, inc- including copper, leading to um, copper toxicity. So. We're, we're promoting water and we're bringing those water bottles and we're have, we have some other items, other products that we're also promoting, um, non-lead soup bowls, um, soup mugs uh, that have a handle on them, 
um, tote bags that people can use to reuse, um, a butter dish that is etched with the words, have a little bread with your butter, and also mm-hmm. an option will be um, for those who don't eat bread. So, you know, we're promoting butter, so have a little bread with your butter. And then the other is everything is better with butter. Um, and we're, we're currently gathering those products and we'll bring them this year as well. So not only will we have our educational materials, but we'll also have that. And we'll probably also have a sneak preview of the Nourishing Ourselves educational materials. So our booth will certainly have a lot to see and experience. Sounds like a lot to look forward to in the Nourishing Traditions, um, the Nourishing, Ourself, Nourishing Our Children booth at the White Traditions Conference. So I certainly look forward to seeing that, and I'm very much looking forward to attending my first Wise Traditions conference. Sandrine, it's been great to have you on. We have to go to our desserts in a second, but before we go, can you give us the website of where we can find your website? Sure. So uh, nourishingourchildren.org. If you forget that .com will bring you to us also. Nourishing Our Children. And I'll just mention that right now we have a summer promotion that ends on Monday. So all of our educational materials are being offered uh, at a reduced donation request. And um, that can be found at nourishingourchildren.org forward slash end of summer promotion. And there's a dash between each word. So end dash, end, no, no. What am I saying? Um, let me get that right. It's end-of-summer-promotion.html. Um, so this is an opportune time if anybody's interested in receiving our educational materials to donate to receive them now because um, the donation request will be reduced uh, between 17% to 62% depending on what you would like to receive. And green pasture products, the makers of the fermented cod liver oil and high vitamin butter oil that we uh, recommend is adding uh, coupons between uh, 10 and $20 to each donation. So that's a nice package. Sounds great. Okay, got to go to our desserts now, how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. Uh, tomorrow in Pasadena is the Good Eats Pasadena Festival at the Playhouse District. This is a free event and consists of many vendors with sustainable food products, such as the Rustic Loaf, Honest Tea, and Beyond the Olive. Also, on Monday, September 10th, the highly anticipated farm-to-table restaurant Mess Hall opens in Los Feliz, and they'll start serving daily at 5 p.m. That's all for this week of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'll be back next week as we start our Weston A. Price Speaker Conference Series with Mark McAfee of Organic Pastures. For more information on my guest, my news stories, and my desserts, go to appropriateomnivore.blogspot.com. 